Hey, you guys ready to do this Mandalorian review? Uh, yeah, almost. I'm just finishing up my notes right now. Yes. Cool. Hey, Banner, what did you think about Paz Vizsla in this episode? Yes. Is that the only thing you're going to say? All review? No. Damn it. Did Banner get back in his IG-12 replica? Yes. 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 Okay, yes. I'm just going to mute him. No. 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 Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we are just a bunch of bros drinking beer and watching TV and movies. This is our review of The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 7, called The Spies. It's also Chapter 23, if you're counting that way. Uh, I am your host, The Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Like I said, we are here to review this as we do all of our television episodes using the four Bro Four Squad criteria, which is the acting, the story, our favorite scene, and then any theories and questions going forward. This is the penultimate episode. We got the whole crew here, uh, the American hero, Nate Thurmond, and the mad scientist, Brian Banner. And Nate, since penultimate is one of your and mine's favorite words, we'll toss it to you first for the acting and cast in this episode. What do you think? Um, I mean, most of the people who are staples in this show already really brought it. Um, Mando was great. Um, Bo-Katan was great. Uh, Paz Vizsla was was great in this as well, um, but have to shout out and kind of put a highlight on uh, Giancarlo Esposito since he got reintroduced um, since we hadn't seen him. I mean, really all all season we saw him at the end of last last season. So, um, I mean, he's yeah, just I forgot about that. He's just a phenomenal actor. Um, love this casting for him that they brought him into the Star Wars universe, uh, opening up. Uh, like the opening scene it's great seeing the hologram conversation he has and that's like the first time we see him but like just super super darth vader vibes mm -hmm. it's awesome like even like the voice and voice inflections on some of the things he does um through the hologram it really kind of brought me back to some older star wars uh installations um and yeah he's just like uh, the perfect perfect villain in, in this role um so it was great seeing him come back in this and really having a huge part in this episode it was awesome and uh, anytime we get anything imperial centric i'm typically down for it and i guess we get in this a little bit in story but i was glad that we i mean we knew it was coming eventually at least we were hoping but now we sort of got the tie into that episode that felt like a bit of an outlier earlier with alia kane and dr pershing that kind of makes sense now which is another huge uh benefit to bringing in moff gideon in this one so uh, Banner, what did you think? I know as a fan of Rebels and Clone Wars, there was a lot here in terms of characters or at least like allusions to them, specifically in that opening scene. Although there was an actor that I wanted to see, you probably did too, that we only got mentioned of. But what did the acting and cast do for you in this episode? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. Everybody brought their A game. Um, all the staples, you know, Katie Sackhoff, the... I don't even know who's playing Din Jarjan anymore. Is it is it still Pedro Pascal technically? Or? <laughs> I think so. I don't know if he's in costume the whole time, but like he he's emoting and he's doing all the voice stuff. Yeah. And I got yeah. Katie Sackoff, I did not know she had this kind of acting chops for live action roles. She has been 
given a lot of weight to carry in this and she could have been overexposed, but she has carried her own. I've been very impressed with how well she's done. I, yeah, I think that, like I said, everybody has done great. Um, this, I don't know if this is more character driven, so I don't know if it's going to be in, should be in story or should be here, but uh, Ace Wolf needs to stop fighting people because he keeps losing. I just kind of appreciate that he's not going to leave the bat on his shoulder. You know, he's, sure. he's going to take it. I respect it, but like, dude, eventually they're not going to let you yield. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. He's the kid that has like been allowed to like call time out his whole life when he gets in a fight. And eventually someone's going to be like, I don't fucking play by those rules. I'm going to kill you. Sorry. Uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty much all I got. Love that we saw. They kind of came full circle with uh, the Boba Frick people, which was kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into a little bit more of how that, relates to everything else but again everybody brought their a game uh carlos esposito dude whatever you're doing keep doing it yeah one quick uh shout out i want to give so brian gleason who plays brendel hux in this who which is uh i did a little internet research afterwards general hux's father who is not a good father based on what we see of him in the star wars comics which are canon but brian gleason if you're watching it because this is what i was thinking i was like oh they did a good job casting a guy who looks like dom hall gleason who played general <laughs> hux well that's because they're brothers in real life makes huh? sense checks out actors. yeah that's fine nice. so that was a cool bit of casting i don't know if is um i guess it would have to be i don't even know where how old he would be in rebels but is brendel hux in have you seen him in anything before i know he's in the comics but i don't know if age-wise if it makes sense for him to be in anything else i'm having trouble with the timeline sometimes i the name's not coming to to mind for me um but i'm also an idiot so yeah same it's not ringing a bell okay so i guess it's just kind of like a cool nod to how hux gets involved in the first order because his dad was which again i think that's kind of the cool part about this is now we can actually see and it will help the sequel trilogy if we can see some of how the First Order formed after that power vacuum was created when the Empire fell. Because to mm-hmm. me, that shit is really, really interesting. All these resources, all these worlds that you know the New Republic is trying to take over and protect and rule, and all these people that have a lot of really bad ideas, one of them being Thrawn, who gets mentioned here, and just a whole universe really up for grabs is a really, really fun time to tell Star Wars stories, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... Not to get like down a rabbit hole. And I think I mentioned this before. Like, I don't know like how much of this was like pre thought, like George Lucas back in like the 70s, 80s. Like, hey, we want, I know he had like the prequels planned out that started in 99 quite a bit in advance, but like, did he plan out and be like, hey, let's do this and this and this? We're going to have these gaps. So it'll create a whole universe we can fill in later down the road and have this whole um, saga that we continue for 40, 50 years. Yeah, that's a great There's question. There's no way. I think he got very fucking lucky. Oh, it could be. It could yeah. be. I don't know. How I think Dave Filoni uh, saw the opportunity of, oh, hey, you made these gaps. I'll fill them in. Um, 100% could be that. But past that, there, let's not give George, George Lucas any more than he deserves. Well, okay. it is It is kind of interesting. Last thing I'll say uh, before we move on to story is when the sequel trilogy came out, I think a lot of people, including myself, didn't really ask too many questions. We were like, that's weird. These guys look and act exactly like the Empire, who we just defeated, and now we're just, like, fighting them again. So to go over, like, how basically history repeats itself and how this happens could not only save some of the sequel trilogy, but just be, again, a really interesting story to tell. Like, what causes – because the New Republic we've already seen has kind of started to fuck up. Like, 
yeah. after they defeated the Empire. Like they're either getting overconfident or just don't know what they're doing. So they're, they're leaving the, before they walk. Right. They're leaving the door open. They're like the Atlanta Falcons when they blew that lead to the Patriots. Like you got to put it, put a team away, you know. All right. Story. The plot synopsis, according to IMDb, is uh, embarrassingly brief. It says <laughs> survivors come out of hiding, which like could be okay. anything. So I uh, summarized it with there's really like two main plot points. I guess maybe one main plot point that only comes back up at the end of the episode. But we have Elia Kane revealed in sort of like a Blade Runner-esque uh, scene on Coruscant to have been working for Moff Gideon the entire time, sort of helping uh, keep tabs on uh, Pershing. And then, of course, we have the Mandalorians leave Navarro and go to reclaim Mandalore. And they realize that Gideon's uh, team has been there the entire time mining Beskar. So... Banner, the story, uh, I mean, I think you were a big fan of this one from what I saw in the text, but the momentum that we lost last week uh, with the Lizzo and Jack Black episode, did we regain it here? I think so. Um, you hit on a little bit, but this Shadow Council that we've got, you can see this is the the uh, early, early stages of the First Order, which again is, is cool to see, especially with this disappointing, I think, is the general opinion is that the force first order is like oh so it's just the empire you just used them again well now we're seeing how they got there um and i think that's very important for the star wars universe as a whole um not only this show uh this episode really i mean i know there's a lot of action especially at the end but this was the calm before the storm you could feel everything going you can feel everything starting to build you can feel like this is coming to an end very soon, but I don't I don't quite know how. Um, and everything that they did here just made me so much more mad about last week's just absolute atrocity of an episode. Uh, I stand yeah. by my statement. Worst thing that has ever happened in the Star Wars universe was wow. last episode. But <laughs> they big. I don't want to say they redeem themselves because there's there's no. There is no excuse that will uh, make last week okay in my mind, but um, they righted the ship for sure. What do you think, Nate? Uh, yeah, this was this was a really great episode, top to bottom. Um, trying to think back, first or I mean, first or second favorite episode of this season, probably um, for me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really cool starting out. Um, I know that there's been some mention already on here about the mention of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, and I think it's just great timing and it gives a lot of credit to the people running Star Wars now these days and, and creating this content. Um, just the way they're dropping these in these episodes. Um, and it's so seamless because they put this in here right after the Ahsoka trailer dropped like a week or two ago. Great, um, great yeah. planning there. Yeah, great planning on their side. So like. We're getting excited because we saw the back of his head in the uh, live action Ahsoka trailer. So um, then they mention it and they just kind of like tease you a little bit more and tickle your balls a little bit. I'm like, I love it. Keep it coming. Um, but yeah, th this is awesome seeing like the councils being formed, um, seeing how the First Order is rising. Um, and yeah, what a bounce back episode from last week. Um, that big pile of dog shit. Um, unfortunately, wasn't on the review to, to shit on it with you guys. But um Oh, we read your thoughts. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. You you were Thank well you. represented. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just fantastic. You get the cohesion of the two Mandalorian groups. Um, you even get the introduction of IMDb's plot synopsis. The the survivors come out of hiding or whatever they said. Um, so 
you get kind of a, a deeper dive into Mandalore, which is obviously being a huge plot point um, for this season. So we're we're finding out that hey, there were actually some Mandalorians on the on the planet that survived and then been kind of traveling around. So um, you get that connection for the ragtag group of Mandalorians coming in, um, and they can kind of introduce a third group, um, which I think kind of helps cohese all of them together. Um, and then just one one of the most badass ending scenes. Um, of the oh, whole yeah. series so far in all three seasons. Yeah, I uh, was critical of Ludwig van Gorenson, who I'm fine being critical of because I've been, aside from Banner, maybe like his biggest supporter for the past four or five years. Um, I was critical of him with the Paz Vizsla lack of score during that Mandalorian siege a few episodes ago. Yeah. And th- he clearly, because this is how time works, he clearly heard my criticism, went mm-hmm. back retroactively and redid the score for this episode because it was fucking incredible. He had end. time to take care of it in post. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to say, just because you guys pretty much covered all my thoughts for story and plot and how badass it was, that third group of Mandalorians on Mandalore, I loved. I was getting like Mad Max in the Star Wars universe oh, yeah. vibes from them. Um, A little bit of Waterworld. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like with the, the costume design and everything yeah. like that. And then the seat, I mean, Dude, the budget for Mandalorian, the way that they use it on CGI, especially this season, has just blown me away. Because that scene with the monster, like, that was, I mean, and it's Star Wars, so I guess we can't be too surprised by it, but it's still television at the end of the day. That was, like, high, high high-end blockbuster movie CGI. And I know it wasn't, like, on screen a lot, but it looked incredible. And the whole aesthetic on Mandalore, the way it was lit... And then going underground, it was just like an incredible episode. And I know last week, you know, every show kind of feels like they have one episode where you're like, yeah, that was like, did we need that episode? But the thing that I think frustrated me about last week's episode is there it wasn't like story wise. We had to, like, take a breath and have a filler episode. There could have been a great story with Bo-Katan reuniting with her old clan. It was just like the way they did it. They turned it like it was just a horrible plot device for how they got her to I can't remember the guy's name you just referenced earlier, Banner keeps getting his ass kicked. Uh, Ace, but how they Ace Wolf. Yeah, how they got Wolf. her back to Ace and the other Mandalorians was just I didn't like the plot device, but I think they've almost righted all their wrongs with this episode. Yeah, they could have done so much better last episode. And they could have made the whole episode about them trying to rejoin and then trying to rekindle. And it could have come to the same uh, ultimate climax of them fighting. But them trying to get Absolutely. together and them trying to work through the differences and then just saying, fuck it, no, we have to fight for this. Um, and you could have had the same last five minutes, which was the best part of the episode. But you could have put something in there other than, hey, we have this task for you to do before you can talk to the Mandalorians. Like, right. That's so corny and cheeky. It uh, was very video game-like where it's like, before you can enter the fire temple, you yeah. need to find the fire tunic. And it's like, okay, I'm fine with that. But if I have to find the fire tunic by like playing some stupid game as opposed to a cool quest – that's where I get upset. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the CGI and pointed that out because I I fully recognize that, especially whenever the monster came out and it broke the ship apart. It was such a badass, like, two or three seconds, specifically whenever that thing broke apart. And you see all the Mandalorians scatter, almost like fireflies, and you see their jetpacks yeah. lighting Love up that and all that. Part. That was it an was honorable so mention cool. for best scene for me. Yeah, it, 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 was, was, it was a cool moment. Just they're scattering like like a bees when you hit their hive with a baseball bat. It it's very Wait, very well done. It was so have, well done. Have you done that? Hit a beehive I with a baseball bat. <laughs> I hope to God that was a dare. Uh, all yeah, right, totally. moving moving on to best scene. I mean, there's some really great ones, especially like the 
second to third act of this episode. But I have to say, the campfire slash like meeting scenes between the Mandalorians this season, there's probably been two or three of them, have all really, really hit me hard in the feels. And I think I've just been really cool. So the scene that I'm going to go with first um, was the I will go scene, essentially, where the Mandalorians were at the campfire and Bo-Katan was like, I need a group to go back to Mandalore. And it really only works if we have people from all the different factions that have reunited for the Mandalorians as a show of unity. So it'd be awesome if somebody could uh, fucking raise their hand so I don't have to draw people out of the hat to go do this. And it looks like no one's going to do it, or at least only Din and her are going to go. And then uh, Ace and his crew volunteer, and then Paz Vizsla is like, well, if people are going to be fighting, I mean, I might as well throw my hat into the ring as well. I thought that was a really cool scene and then really sets up, even though there's still a lot of tension between these two groups, at the end of the day, they see the light at the end of the tunnel to reclaim Mandalore. And to them, it's enough to put aside their differences to sort of unite for a common goal. I thought that was really, really cool. And as sort of like the through line of this season, even though it's kind of been a little bit suspect at certain times in certain episodes in terms of how devoted the storyline has been to it, that was a really cool way for me to be like, all right, that's what season three of The Mandalorian is about. All the different sects of the Mandalorian scattered throughout the universe reuniting for this common goal to rebuild their home world. What you guys think? Yeah, that was that was my scene as well. Just Bo-Katan asking for volunteers and the tension of, oh, nobody's going to follow her regardless of their culture, um, her wielding the dark saber and the rightful, quote unquote, ruler of Mandalore. Um but everybody just saying, you know what, a friend of my enemy, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we have to to get behind that. And everybody kind of come together. Was, uh, uh, it, it was just it was a great scene. You could see, OK, this this is setting up what the last four acts of the show is going to be being the third act of this episode and, and the entirety of the season finale. It, was, did- it won't work without that uh, that scene. For sure. I, I did kind of get the sense, too, when no one is volunteering and then Ace volunteers, Paz Vizsla's like, all right, I'm not going to fucking let this guy be the MVP who, like, brings it. So, no, I'm going to. Like, don't think. Even if I'm just going to eat block for you, like, if you score the touchdown, I'll be the guy that cleared the way in front of you. And then, of course, the way the episode ends. I mean, it's a phenomenal yeah. scene with him. So he definitely uh, earned his keep. Yeah. Nate, what was your favorite scene? Well... As as impactful as your guys' scene was that you brought up, thank you for leaving me the low hanging fruit at the end because that was mine. And oh, I yeah. mean, pa- I mean, Paz Vizsla just taking one for the team and being the most badass Mandalorian out there and taking on. He, he's like, I, I've got to do this for the greater good. Um, Willing to and, sacrifice Bunt, really, like give up his at bat. Yeah. So everyone else can swing away. We need the squeeze. We need the squeeze play on. And the uh, fact that you know that he has a child and is yep. so um, just cares for that child so much, the fact that he let all of that go and sacrificed all of that for everybody just made it that much more meaningful and sad and a warrior's death. I mean, everything, all of the above. The um, Nate, you could open that. <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, visual and like the way it like with his machine laser gun like overheating, but he's basically like, I don't give a fuck. My finger's not coming off this trigger. That was just so cool. 
the visual of that gave me like they're totally unrelated, but like in the Phantom Menace, you remember when Qui Gon is like melting the blast doors mm-hmm. with his lightsaber? That's what it looked like as it was overheating, and you're he's just like I'm just gonna keep shooting this gun until either it sh- shuts down or I die. Whatever happens first. I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, sorry, I was distracted by some outside forces. Apparently, a shut door doesn't mean anything these days. <laughs> but, anyways, yes, that was a, that's another great testament to the CGI on this. Like, I was so focused on his gun overheating. I was like, that is like such great detail. I know. And, like you can tell it's like ramping up. Like it starts glowing a little bit, and then just like fucking red hot at the end. Um, and Banner, what you were saying a second ago, it, it just adds even more emotion and sentiment to that scene because, you know, he has a son that he cares about that they had to go on a mission to save. Um, but he's doing this for the greater good of the Mandalorians for his son. So even outside of the physicality of that, that scene and how awesome that was and how much of a huge sacrifice that was, it, yeah, it means so much more because of why he's doing it and what's behind it. Um, and it was just, it was just a great way of someone who's kind of butted heads with um, uh, Din Din coming in. Um, and him and Ace Axe. fought like hours ago on the boat too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Axe fighting. Um, so he's someone who's butted heads, but then he finally has that cool character arc coming full circle and saying, okay, we, we're all in this together. We have a greater good. We're all on Mandalore now. We see what our home was and we, we love it and we want it back. So it it was a great culmination at the end of physicality, emotion, and all kinds of things. And also him kind of realizing, like, look, I'm the only one who can probably beat the shit out of, like, ten of these dark troopers on my own. Yeah. So you you guys go, and I'll handle this. Yeah, fantastic. Do, this is, again, a little segue into questions and theories. Um, but do, do we care about the scene before that when Din got captured? I Honestly, he's captured, and I'm like, oh, that sucks. But, like, that is barely a blip on my radar. Obviously it's going to have big implications for the season finale. We know that, but yeah, like the way that it all went down, the fact that didn't got captured was kind of small beans in my opinion. Yeah. They kind of captured him and they're like, take him to the interrogation room. And that was kind of it. There wasn't too yeah. much, too much yeah. more in depth that they went into on that one. So it was kind of, kind of thrown by the wayside almost. Okay. So that, I guess, can we just go right into theories and questions? Yeah. I have a question tying into that before we really get into it. So Moff Gideon in the beginning, it seems like his biggest worry or the, the what he perceives right now to be at least the most organized and viable threat to the Shadow Council's plans is the Mandalorians. So are we to take his, I guess, plan or his motive in going to Mandalore, getting all the Beskar, which I actually have a question about that I want to talk about at the very end. And basically doing all this, this whole siege, capturing Din, is all of this just him trying to be proactive and stop them before they can get in the way of the Shadow Council? Or does he want something else with either Mandalore or specifically Din Djarin? Like, is he just basically like, you're the biggest threat to us, I'm going to take you out? Or does he have other plans or motivations? I, th- I think it's just what it is at face value. He's seeing them joining back up. He was obviously shocked at the very beginning that these two factions of Mandalore Mandalorians that were sworn enemies, as he said, are, are joining up. He's like, well, fuck if they're actually joining up, yeah. like like different little sects of them. I'm not worried about it. They're not powerful enough to overtake me, but if they get two, three, four, five of them together, um, it's going to be an issue. So yeah, I think they're really, he's really just trying to stop them. I don't know if there's any alternative ulterior motive um, other than that. Um, but yeah, it just seems like he wants to kind of squash this bug before it gets too big. 
And obviously the Beskar is valuable. It's kind of like the vibranium of the Star Wars universe. So I guess just in terms of building like an elite fighting force, that would be a different, another interest he would have in the planet of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Staying on, staying on Moff Gideon. Um, I don't know if I just missed this in the episode or it was touched on at all. Um, because we, we talked about this two reviews ago, two episodes ago. Who who actually got him out? Who, who... So that was my other question. So okay. the Beskar at first, and Brian, please interject if I'm missing something here. We were originally led to believe that because there was Beskar on the ship that a group of Mandalorians were behind yeah. freeing him. Yep. But I'm assuming now that we know that he has access to Beskar, that it was Elia Kane and just some of his dark troopers that rescued him using that metal, right? I, I think so. I that think it makes was his now. people... Because um, we know he's been harvesting and, and creating Beskar for, honestly, who knows how long now, right? Um, yeah, so it was just a bit of a red herring when we saw the Beskar on the ship, yeah. right, for a brief moment. Yeah, we knew that yeah. it was used, and we just assumed that the Mandalorians were the only people that have access to it. Uh, obviously, we were wrong. I gotta be honest, it was like, no, I'm swimming in this shit. It was a fun few episodes of being super fucking paranoid. Like every Mandalorian that popped up, I was like, you sack of shit. You're probably the one who freed Moff Gideon, didn't you? Yeah. Like, what? No, nothing to do with that. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, like, mm. if there's any um, background on how we got the Beskar. One thing I actually do have an issue with, if this is what they're still called, um, I think his, like, troopers are still called Dark Troopers. Now they're in, like, That was my last question. Don't, yeah. don't agree they're in, like, with that. They're in, like, white armor now. I don't like it if they're called Dark Troopers. I know, like, Dark is, like, evil, but... And this, my question about them, and this may be answered like either in Ahsoka or in the finale, although I doubt in the finale, is like, why aren't those guys a part of the First Order? Like, I understand Beskar is not that easy to find, but the jetpacks and like all the shit they can do, it's like, dude, any group of them would, that would be your group that you actually want to be like fighting your key battles. Yeah, and that's your A team right there. Exactly. And we, and we haven't seen them until now but also i guess you could do that every time star wars wants to introduce something new that's cool if it's like because you know they tell stories out of order you can be like well where was that in this movie like dude we didn't if i'm being honest we hadn't been invented yet so shut the fuck up we thought of a cool <laughs> idea we wanted yeah. to put it in star wars like do you not you either buy it or shit? you don't get off your high horse right if you don't want us to make new cool shit then fine we'll stop but i don't think that's what you want so no. that's actually all i had if you guys had anything else um banner okay so one, we know that Thrawn was obviously mentioned here and days or less than a week before we saw the back of his head in the Ahsoka trailer. Do you guys think we're going to see Thrawn uh, this coming Wednesday? Yes. Yeah. That was I, I threw it to you because that was yeah. my last thing. <laughs> but I think and I think I talked about this on a couple of reviews ago, but they had such a big swing for the fences and it paid off with Luke at the end of season two. I feel like they're going to try and roll the dice. They're going to try and do it Dude. again. They're going to try and one up themselves, um, which for the overall Star Wars fandom, I think Luke is kind of the highest one. But like such like a dark horse, uh, Admiral Thrawn um, from Rebels, like so many people have been jonesing to get him. And now that you leaked him or you kind of teased him in the Ahsoka trailer, I think they are going to try and sneak him in here. It just makes sense now. Um, and this would be a huge one. This would be a great way to cap off um, the season. Yeah, get your fucking popcorn ready. I'm going to make some really bold claims right now. So Mandalorian is essentially ending with this episode because the movie is what they're going to tie everything up with. Like this is, I think, the last season of the show. It's basically been confirmed. I think a couple things are going to happen next Wednesday. This is going to be like half of it is going to be like a backdoor pilot for Ahsoka. 
So I would be absolutely shocked if Thrawn doesn't show up. I'd be shocked if Ahsoka doesn't show up. I think Ahsoka's going to show up as well. And I think we're getting a de-aged Harrison Ford as Han Solo in some capacity. Whether he shows up in the Falcon to rescue someone at the end or whether he gets called on like as the New Republic like needs a a pilot for something. So I think we're getting all three of those things. And uh, I I mean, they have a penchant for swinging big in the finales. And considering this is the last quote unquote finale they're going to have for this show, I think Mm -hmm. Filoni and Favreau are really going to put their nuts on the table and be like, watch this, bro. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that when Thrawn shows up, uh, I think there's an outside chance that he kills Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon obviously was talking shit on him. Like, hey, that's great. You keep talking about him, but where the fuck is he? I'm here. I'm actually doing shit. Right. You know? And he is going to get word of that and just say, you know what? You're right. Bye. Talk shit. And get kill hit. Moff Gideon. We've got this guy that we've we we've built him up. I think he's a great villain, Moff Gideon. Well, that would do a great job of setting up Thrawn, too, as, like, the big bad for Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. Well, wow, that's the guy that fucking offed Moff Gideon, who Mando was fighting for three seasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I don't know if you guys saw. I think uh, Filoni and Favreau had some non-spoiler quotes that were going around the internet this last week for the season finale. And I know uh, Filoni said uh, the fans have a lot to take in in this last episode. So oh, shit, God, I don't even. Do we have? Want to try and dissect that? I'll check. <laughs> yeah, do we have a runtime yet. It's a great question. I haven't. Looked I it haven't up. seen anything, but I also haven't looked for anything. Um. I've got one more thing that I kind of wanted to just where where's where's N1? Why didn't we get any more N1 in this episode? What's N1? Nabu, his Nabu fighter, isn't oh. that what it's called? Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, it's kind of funny. Now I guess it make well, yeah. In any like the flying scenes, they like go to um, they go to Mandalore and they have like a fleet. I guess he, I don't know. It's a smaller. It's yeah. a smaller ship, so that he just jumped on one of the bigger ones. I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say, was he? Was it? It, it wasn't a situation where it was like we we just got the Uber uh, XL. We didn't really need him to. Yeah. Drive his own. It wasn't necessary. Like in the dogfight scenes that they've had in some of the episodes, it, it's great seeing that. But like they're traveling across the universe, going to different planets. I don't think <clears> they <throat> needed it as much. Sure. It better the MPGs that the Naboo fighter gets. We both know it's just not economical. Sure. For this. You're right. Uh, I just thought of another thing, too. Are we going to get Grogu basically playing Mortal Kombat in his little IG unit in this last episode? Because he was really just kind of there in this episode. But they obviously made a big deal about putting him in that uh, robot. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when they referenced or showed IG-11 in the beginning of the season, I think we all thought, like, well, that it really didn't feel like something that was just injected in the story for no reason like it felt like okay this is going to play off play a a role in some fashion later on i just don't really it's definitely not what they originally intended to use it for like uh i think nate had referenced how he wanted him as a navigator on the planet and now it's just like a vehicle for grogu to ride in Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't really know i don't know if it's just like a cool callback to get grogu in like something that makes it more feasible for him to like contribute to the fight or if they just thought it was funny to do the gag of yes, yes, <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's not funny. Say. Uh, crap. Oh, yeah, I was kind of confused whenever they first introduced, I guess, IG-12 now. 
um, saying that they stripped him down to basically his basic parts and there someone has to be in there to control. I'm like, okay, but how does that help Din? Because his whole thing was he wanted him for navigation. Like, does he still have that? Uh, did they strip that out? That really wasn't touched on. I was kind of confused if he can even be used for the purpose that he wanted him for in the first place. At this point, it feels very uh, out of place. I, I have faith that they'll bit. bring it in somehow, but right now it is definitely very out of out of place with how everything else was going. As we keep talking, things keep popping in my head. This will probably be the last thing, but I was thinking about this earlier on a rewatch. Where is Moff Gideon at the beginning of the episode? Because you see him do the hologram. Um, he starts walking back. He walks through his dark troopers. He walks through some familiar tanks we've seen with some possible clones in them. Is he in the? Is he on Navarro, or did they move the base? Because that's where we first saw those uh, two seasons ago. Oh yeah, I forgot about. That. I I just assumed that he was at the end of the episode. I, at the beginning, I had no idea. I, I just assumed at the end of the episode he was on Mandalore in like a secret underground base. Did we Wait, see at, any of those? What do you mean cloning? at the end? What do you mean at the end? Like when he's well, fighting? Because, because we obviously there he's on Mandalore at the end of the episode, right? Yeah. So 100%. I just assumed that his base is also on Mandalore. And oh, since he was on Mandalore at the end, you just assumed the first part was in Mandalore. Correct. I thought he was okay. like on a ship in the first one, but I, I don't uh, know. That could, Did we see any of those cloning it. chambers on Mandalore? No, Even I don't think. No. It's, he's either somewhere else. I mean, I guess he could be on Mandalore, and he's just taking that as a home base since. No one really lives there. Or he could be on a ship. I just didn't know if that was answered or anything. He's really making himself at home there. Like, he took his shoes yeah. off. He's kicked his feet up. He even got himself a beer out of the fridge. It's a bit much. He's helped himself? Jeez. Yeah. Ate a string cheese. I was yeah. saving that. Well, it's gone now. Figure it out. Yeah, that's all I got now. Empty right. tank. Banner, you got anything else? Uh, no. I'm, I'm excited for this last episode. Uh... This has definitely been a, a high highs, low lows season, um, but I think we're we're trending upwards here. So I've got I've got a uh, high hopes here. High hopes. I think th the low lows of the last episode, I, I, to me, it just felt so unlike this show. I think is why I didn't like it. it. It was like a desperate attempt for a show that like wants to reel in an audience, and that is so beneath the Mandalorian and the quality of what we've come to expect from it. That I think that's why I was surprised and just kind of like dude you guys don't have to do this like come on um but they righted the ship here and it, I, i'm expecting a wild finale like i can't wait for next week's review i think it's gonna be awesome mm -hmm. so yeah it's gonna top top everything i'm sure yeah it'll be a mando season three finale review slash predictions for ahsoka season one slash they're gonna boners they're gonna have a ton of tie-ins for sure yeah, trying to avoid spoilers for that online because next week is kind of a weird week for us, at least Nate and I. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we can find time to review where I haven't had it spoiled for me online. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah. All right, for the Mad Scientist, Brian Banner, the American hero, Nate Thurman. I'm the Mayor, Jeff Ward, a second. We are the Bro4 Squad Podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. One more episode, maybe of all time, of The Mandalorian. Please join us next week for that review. In the meantime, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find podcasts if you type in Bro 
force. Squad has three separate words. We're also on Letterboxd. Type in those same three words. We're on Twitter, at Squad, and everything we've ever posted is on our website, BroForSquad.com. Till next time, I have to go fire this laser machine gun and protect Nate and Brian. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for your sacrifice. Yes, yes.